Kelsey saw there was some kind of commotion on the landing of the lighthouse, but she wasn't quite sure what was going on. As she approached the group of tourists, she heard a woman speaking softly, gently even, like she was having a conversation with someone unseen. The people gathered around the woman were all staring up into the dark recesses of the St. Augustine Lighthouse, and, once her eyes adjusted, Kelsey knew exactly what had their attention. Unable to believe her own eyes, Kelsey left the lighthouse and found a fellow employee and brought her back to the lighthouse entrance with her, where she too saw the three misty figures hovering over the second-story landing of the tower and staring down at the crowd gathered below. Do... do you see that? Kelsey asked. Her friend and colleague nodded, and it was the first time Kelsey had ever seen any type of apparition. And she's fairly certain that what she saw were the spirits of three young girls who died tragic deaths at the site while playing nearby during the construction of the lighthouse. I'm Steve Blanchard. Welcome to Phantom History. Nestled along the northeast coast of Florida, St. Augustine has the unique distinction of being the oldest city in the United States. Founded in 1565, the city's age also brings with it a documented history of violence, tragedy, growth, and intrigue. Not surprisingly, it's noted as one of the most haunted cities in the U.S., For nearly five years, Kelsey Lloyd has served as specialty program manager for the St. Augustine Lighthouse, which has stood on Anastasia Island facing the Atlantic Ocean since construction was completed back in 1874. Interestingly, however, the history of St. Augustine's Lighthouse dates much further back than that. In fact, it dates back centuries earlier. So we have had some sort of watchtower or lighthouse on Anastasia Island in this like general vicinity since um, about 1585 when uh, Sir Francis Drake attacked St. Augustine. Um, There's a map that shows a watchtower here um, on the island. Um, And the Spanish have been, or the Spanish were reinforcing it, replacing it throughout the years. Um, And then when the Americans came in in the 1820s, they basically reinforced it again and added a top portion to it, raising it up a little higher, added a light to it, and that became Florida's first lighthouse. It was 1824 when Florida's first lighthouse was lit and began its service. But today's lighthouse isn't in the first one's footprint. In fact, construction on the lighthouse that stands there today started when lighthouse keepers noticed that the original tower was too close to the ocean and was becoming much too unstable. So that one actually completely collapsed. It sat right, basically right on the beach. And over the years, the sand started eroding away, and eventually the lighthouse and the keeper's house over there collapsed into the ocean. And that's actually why we have our new lighthouse, because about 10 years prior, they realized that this lighthouse wasn't going to survive. So they reached out to the lighthouse service and wrote a letter basically saying this lighthouse is not going to last very much longer. What can you do about it? 
and they sent funds to build a newer lighthouse, which is why if you if you've ever visited or if anyone has ever visited our lighthouse sits a little farther back than you would imagine most lighthouses sit from the water. The St. Augustine Lighthouse stands 165 feet tall, and visitors can still climb the 219 steps to its observation deck for the spectacular views of the Atlantic Ocean and St. Augustine itself. Many assume lighthouses are used only to warn vessels of the shore. In fact, the St. Augustine Lighthouse was used, and still is used, for navigation. The way in which its light shines and its colors are both used in navigation by ships at sea. The easiest way to explain it is it's kind of a combination of um, a street sign and like a caution sign in terms of like when you're driving around. Um, it did two things historically. The first was it was an indicator of your location. So um, every lighthouse has a different day mark and night mark. So the night mark is how the light moves um, when it's dark. Um, so some lighthouses you see six bright flashes. Ours specifically is a uh, single beam of light every 30 seconds. And then the day mark is how the lighthouse is painted. So the idea is that if you got blown off course or you sailed through the night and you ended up off the coast and you see a new lighthouse, you see um, some sort of light pattern, you could basically look at this chart of lighthouses and you would be able to say, oh, you know, this black and white spiral with a red lantern is the St. Augustine Lighthouse. And then next to that, there would be any cautions that would be needed. Um, so in some places it was, you know, there's rocks off the coast. In our specific location, it noted that you needed a, uh, a local pilot to get into the inlet because our inlet was so treacherous. It had like constantly moving sandbars. You had to have someone who was local, who was sailing it constantly, who knew how those sandbars moved to actually make it into uh, the inlet at St. Augustine. The lighthouse was for the safety of seafarers and those delivering goods to the United States' oldest port. However, no one could have foreseen the tragedy that befell the lighthouse even before it was fully constructed. Building the lighthouse that stands there today, further away from the coast, meant that it was less likely to fall to the whims of time and the Atlantic Ocean as its predecessor did. It also allowed for its bright light to be seen from miles out in the Atlantic Ocean as ships navigated near the shore. Construction began once funding was secured and required some ingenuity considering its location on the upper areas of Anastasia Island. That ingenuity, unfortunately, led to tragedy early on in its construction. We started construction on the lighthouse in 1871, and during that time period, our head of construction was a man named Hezekiah Pitty. Um, and Hezekiah moved here with his wife and four children. And one day, those children were playing on the construction site, and we're pretty sure that this was a common play area for them, and their father probably didn't approve. But they used this 
cart that would have been used for the transportation of materials. So kind of imagine a, as like a mine cart or a dump cart that ran along a rail line from the lighthouse down to the ocean. Uh, and the kids used it as kind of a Victorian era roller coaster. So they'd start up towards the lighthouse and they'd let the brake go and they'd go flying down towards the water and it would stop at the end and they'd haul it back and go again. And that went great for a couple years until July 10th, 1873, when four girls got in that cart. Uh, Hezekiah's eldest daughter, Mary, her younger sister, Eliza, their littlest sister, Carrie, and with them, they had a African-American maid. And those four girls got in the cart, they went flying down towards the water, but the cart didn't stop at the end. It flipped over, trapped the girls underneath, um, and there was a worker, Dan Sessions, who saw the whole thing happen and was able to get there, lift the cart, but by the time he was able to do all of those things, he could only save one of the little girls, Carrie, who was only four at the time. And so those other three girls drowned. The spirits of those young children who drowned nearly 150 years ago are said to still be present at the St. Augustine Lighthouse and oftentimes are seen playing with each other and with guests. In fact, their spirits are among the most active on the lighthouse grounds and beyond. They're definitely tricksters. They have a tendency to like play with shoelaces and the glow sticks we give out to guests and you'll hear them giggling. In the last couple of years, they've really taken to playing hide and seek they'll uh, start setting off EMF meters and then you have to like wander around an area in order to find them and they'll spike the meter up and then they'll hide again. You have to go find them. Really throughout our entire property, one of the things that I tell people all the time is that our ghosts wander. Some of them are potentially drawn to certain locations, but we've pretty much had experiences all over property with all of our ghosts. And even off of property, like they don't stay within our fence line. There's a park across the street that used to be part of Lighthouse property and is actually probably much closer to where they died than the actual Lighthouse. But we get people reporting swings swinging on its own and like pictures of little girls like sitting in the trees over there because they've got those big like live oak trees that are great for climbing. As Kelsey mentioned, the little girls are the most active spirits, but they certainly aren't the only ones. She can't say exactly how many roam the lighthouse and the surrounding grounds, but there is a long history associated with lighthouses there, as well as Native American settlements dating back thousands of years. But Kelsey, who doesn't consider herself sensitive to the paranormal, has had her fair share of run-ins with ghosts. One of her most notable experiences likely involved a ghost the staff refers to as the man in the blue suit. So about four or five years ago now, it was pretty close to when I started, I got locked in the tower. I took a really small group in on a tour and it was probably like 11, 11.30 at night. And historically we used to let the tower door just close behind us because it just like clicks closed and then you can just come and turn the handle and it opens back up like no big deal and i sent my group up to climb the tower and there was another staff member there with me down at the bottom 
but everybody else who was on site was in that lighthouse. Like there's nobody else on property. And we make it back to that front lighthouse door. And not only is it closed, but it's locked and bolted, which required a key from the outside at the time. So I actually had to climb out one of like the hallway windows and down and around. And once we got down and around, there was no reason that that door should have been bolted like that. And for probably the next month and a half on a pretty regular basis, someone got locked in the tower. So I would hear like banging on the door or I'd get a radio call from one of my staff members asking like to come be let out. So now on the tour, we prop the door open so no one gets locked in. So we have sightings of what we call our man in the blue suit, uh, which is actually uh, very similar to what a keeper's uniform would have looked like. Um, the keeper's uniform was like dark blue slacks, a dark blue button up jacket and a dark blue short brimmed hat. So we've had sightings in the basement of a man in the blue suit. Um, we've had sightings like at the door of the tower of a man in the blue suit. Um, so I kind of, I kind of feel like things like the doors locking or the windows opening and closing on their own tie back to maybe a keeper just going through those duties again. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, locking the door after he leaves the lighthouse or, you know, opening the windows after a storm, like those kinds of things. Staff at the lighthouse can't seem to pinpoint exactly which keeper may still be doing his nightly duties. Lighthouse keepers would live on site with their families, and during that time, illnesses and accidents could claim lives. So we had a lighthouse keeper uh, at the original lighthouse fall to his death from like the tower. He was whitewashing the tower and his scaffolding failed um, and he fell to his death. Uh, his name was Joseph Andrew. The very first lighthouse keeper to live in the keeper's house in the late 1870s, his name was Major William Harn. He passed away in the house. He died from a lengthy sickness with tuberculosis and malaria. And then we've actually had a couple wives die in the house. Um, so Peter Rasmussen, who um, is one of our more active spirits, his wife Lula passed away in the house. We have keeper's logs. I think in the keeper's logs, it just says like lengthy sickness. Um, but we, we really don't have a lot of contact with her or really any contact with her. But Peter was our lighthouse keeper. He was our longest serving lighthouse keeper. He was here for 23 years. Guests come from all over the country and the world to visit the United States' oldest city, and most of those guests will take time to tour the lighthouse and climb up to the light, whether it's during the day or while participating in a ghost tour at night. It's those visitors who provide most of the paranormal documentation to Kelsey and her counterparts at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Stories of experiences and photos of strange apparitions are shared with the staff almost every single night. We have, you pick something like paranormal that has happened, like that could happen, and it's probably happened at the lighthouse. We have figures that have been seen. We have voices that have been heard, um, doors that lock and unlock, and windows that open and close on their own. Um, we have people that have been touched. Um, probably our most like common way that people have like communications or connections with the ghosts is um, with uh, 
EMF meters. We rent those out on the tours um, and we encourage people to wander around and see if they can connect and communicate uh, with our ghosts that way. But the spirits that still reside on the grounds of the St. Augustine Lighthouse don't always need technology to make themselves known. Whether they are residual or active spirits, Kelsey's not sure. But she says that guests report strange sightings to her and her colleagues often, even if they don't have the assistance of technology. Always the like things moving on their own, um, like we have furniture that's like rocking chair in um, like the Harn side of the house. Currently we have a portion of our uh, our keeper's house that's set up to look like William Harn's home, home. So it's very Victorian looking. Um, and I've had multiple reports of like the rocking chair rocking on its own or um, people seeing the love seat in their bow as if someone had like sat down on it. Um, those are always eerie. Um, I also think when people tell me they see figures, it's scary, especially when I'm talking and they tell me like, oh, there's something behind you. Pictures are encouraged during the tours at the lighthouse, and guests are quick to share their pictures with the guides on Facebook and on the museum's Instagram page. Oftentimes, guides will have the unpleasant job of pointing out that an orb is really just a speck of dust or a bug caught in the flash. But there are other photos shared that can't be as easily explained away. One set of pictures in particular stands out. I have, I have a copy of two pictures that were taken about five years apart. Um, same landing in the tower, which is I think like the second or third landing up. And you can very clearly just over the railing see like two eyes and like what looks like curly hair. But these two pictures were taken five years apart. And it's almost the exact same picture. We have a, a picture of like a, a white figure in front of our um, our World War II garage. We have um, a picture of this like misty white form in the woods. Photographs are great to share online and with guests during a tour, but it's when a group sees something in real time that really shows the power of the paranormal at the St. Augustine Lighthouse. Kelsey, remember, is not especially sensitive to the paranormal. But there is one instance that stands out in her mind the most, and that proved to her that she shares the lighthouse with those who came before her. We had a woman who was very sensitive to things on the tour, and uh, during that like second portion where everyone gets to kind of spread out, um, she was down at the base of the tower, so standing like at the bottom of the staircase, didn't go up any landings, um, and she's just kind of down at the bottom talking like reaching out saying you know if there's anyone here like you can come visit like all of these things and I usually take walks around the property to make sure you know as people are going about that they're well behaved um, and so I noticed this large group for the base of the tower there was like 15 people down there um, standing in the base of the tower so I'm like okay something's going on I walk in um, and everyone is looking up the staircase uh, and so I do one of these, like, I'm kind of glancing up, but like very tentatively glancing up because I'm not sure I actually want to see what's going on. Um, and 
on about the second landing, there is this misty, bluish, white figure um, leaning over the railing. Like, not very tall, kind of girl-sized. Um, and the woman who is talking is like, thank you for coming to visit. Like, we're very glad to have you. If you'd like to bring your friends, come and get them. And at this point, I'm not sure what I'm seeing. So I go and I get one of my coworkers, make her come back in. And like, you have to see this. You have to tell me like, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. She sees the exact same thing. And this woman and this group of people spend about 10, 15 minutes down at the base of the tower. By the end of that 15 minutes, we not only have that one figure, but we have three little figures that are leaning over the railings, like kind of just hovering there. Um, and as we start to wrap things up at the end of the night, the woman um, who's been recording the whole time, like she has a has a recorder, um, she says, is, there's a, is there anything you'd like to say? And I'm there in person, I hear nothing. She and her husband come back a couple weeks later, play me that portion. And you can hear her say, is there anything you'd like to say? And then almost directly after that, you hear a little girl's voice say, thank you. In 2015, St. Augustine celebrated its 450th anniversary. While that's a long time, it only accounts for the European settlements in the area, not the thousands of years of Native American tribes that called the area home. Could that be the reason why the St. Augustine Lighthouse is so paranormally active? No one really knows for sure, but there are those who have theories. I've had people tell me it's because, you know, we're this big beacon in the sky and the light draws them. I, I think it might be different for each of our ghosts. With Peter, he was here forever. This is most of his life. With the girls, I think this was probably a happy location for them. Like they had their family here. They probably had playmates. Like this was a, a good spot for them, even though this is where they died. Phantom History is written, researched, edited, and produced by me, Steve Blanchard. Special thanks to Kelsey Lloyd for sharing her experiences in this episode and to the St. Augustine Lighthouse for assisting with the interview. Music for this episode was provided by Antonio Bizarro, Chad Crouch, and Shane Ivers. Please consider giving Phantom History a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and feel free to visit us online at phantomhistory.com or on Facebook and Instagram. And of course, as always, thank you for listening.